morning. Are we on? Doesn't sound like it yet. Ooh, we're getting there. Okay. So I don't know if you were here for the last couple of weeks, uh, but Ian started the series and then Emma's taking it forward. Uh, and they both did absolutely brilliantly, so no pressure on me at all. Uh, but uh, yeah, well done. It was awesome. Um, so I help oversee the youth work. Are we, it sounds a bit strange. Are we all feeding back? Okay, so it's very echoey up here, Andrew. So um, we, we started... Um, told you. <laughs> okay, that's better. Uh, so myself and Kate, uh, my wife, we oversee the youth work here. We've done that for nearly 15 years. So uh, we get to lead the fabulous young people, and we've seen generations go through. It's been a real privilege to do that and, um, and also to help raise up leaders, of, uh, of which one you heard last week in Emma. And I loved listening back to what Emma had to say because she talked about context. And context is everything, as far as I'm concerned, in the Bible. We need to understand the context of the Bible. We need to understand who wrote what, who it was for, so that we can then understand what it means to us. I picked, um, we had a a choice of of verses um, that we could pick, and I decided to choose um, a set of verses about Jesus um, that were it's the only place in the Bible where it talks about it. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to open that up. I wanted to understand, well, why is that important? And to do that, again, we need to understand the context. So when we've got the four Gospels, uh, we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we have different ways of writing. We have different people that wrote it for different purposes. And so today, when we're going to be looking um, at Luke 2, 41 to 52, it's really important to understand who Luke was and the way that he wrote So Luke uh, was a doctor, and he was a person who um, was analytical, was looking to do um, facts based on people's eyewitnesses. And uh, and therefore, when we read the way that he writes, it's really important that we get that. Whereas Matthew, that was mainly written for Christians of Jewish heritage, long lists of the genealogy of the where, where Jesus came from, Abraham through to David through to Joseph and on, and involves loads of Old Testament prophecy and the fulfillment of it. Mark is more of a summary of Jesus' ministry on earth as the Son of God, and uh, it's arranged to be easily read and to be retold, and it reads more like a story. And then John is the persuasive gospel, uh, recording the signs of Jesus' deity. It's a different approach to telling (laughs) Jesus' life. Whereas Luke, it's more historical, it's more journalistic, it's a chronological start, and it goes before the birth all the way through Jesus' life. And therefore, it's also the longest of the Gospels. So I love different. I don't like the same. I like things that are different in throughout my life. That's what I I like to be. I like to be a bit different, and I like to see different things. And because this is the only point in the Bible where these verses are put, that's why I chose it. And so when we when we uh, teach the young people about um, the Bible and about Jesus, we, we, need to, we always talk to them about context in the Bible, in the verses that we're talking about. We also talk about us engaging our brains and engaging our imagination. And also, 
about not being complacent just because we know the verses. I'm terrible at that. That's probably why I relate so well to the young people, but we're starting here today, so that's where we're at. So these verses will be known to us, but we mustn't be complacent. We must engage our brains and engage our imagination. I always talk about, um, when I read the Bible, about being a film director. I want to make the setting. I want to understand all the bits of it. What would it have looked like? How would I set it up? Um, who was there? Who was writing? Was it hot? Was it cold? Was it busy? Was it smelly? All these sorts of things. I want to understand that. And so this morning, let's try and do that. So can we have the first slide up? Great. So we're going to start by reading it. And imagine that you're this film director. What is it? What's the bits or pieces that you would want there So Luke 2, 41 to 52, uh, the boy Jesus at the temple. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, he went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day, Then they began looking for him amongst their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, "'Son, why have you treated us like this?' Your father and I have anxiously been searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So this morning we have three objectives. I'm a goal-orientated person, and so we have three things that we're going to try to achieve. So we're going to go through the text, and we're going to understand the context. We're going to understand something that Joseph and Mary didn't understand. And then lastly, and probably most complexly, we're going to try and apply it to our own lives. So we're going to start off in the text. So verses 41 and 42 talks about this, this Passover, the Passover festival that they used to go to. And this festival was, uh, we can read about that in the Exodus 12, and it was about remembrance uh, and the way that God had saved the Jews um, and differentiated them from the, uh, the Egyptians as he passed judgment on the Egyptian gods by killing the firstborn of every household. And by what the, um, the Jews did was that they... Um, killed a lamb and they put the blood on the, uh, the uh, doorposts of their house so that God would pass over and not inflict the same judgment. It was a really important festival and the people used to travel every single year to Jerusalem to celebrate it. In Exodus 12, God tells them that they should do this. And so Mary and Joseph and with their family and their friends, would have traveled around 70 miles from their homes in Nazareth 
to Jerusalem on foot or donkey. It would have taken about uh, five days. It's not for the faint-hearted, and in many ways it makes the bread challenge look quite easy, I thought. So maybe we need to put this into comparison with that. As we move on into verse 43 and 46, they've been at this festival, at this feast with their friends and their family. It would have been a busy environment. Uh, And as they're uh, leaving, Jesus um, isn't with them. Now, we might not fully understand what that's all about, but um, Jesus is 12, 12 years old, and it tells us that there. And and so uh, he would have been classed either as a a very older boy or as a young adult. At 13, um, he would have been classed as a bar mitzvah, which is that he's an adult and responsible for his own actions. So he would have had a level of autonomy and uh, a level of uh, being freer. As they traveled for these five days, uh, 70 miles, they would have traveled in a large group, um, mainly for security reasons. And the, uh, the women and the children would have been at the front and the men at the back. And so he could have quite easily have been moving around within the group. They obviously trusted him to be there, although he wasn't there. But it would have been quite easy to understand uh, that they wouldn't have known exactly where he was at all times. But can you imagine the panic having traveled for a whole day? Imagine if it was your child and you traveled for a whole day walking. So it's not like in the car where you could just blip there and blip back. But you've, you've traveled for a whole day. Having just been at this festival, you'd probably been quite tired. Um, it would have been a greater experience. But then the panic comes in. Where's my child? Now, one of the great things... Um, about um, sort of researching and, and doing things for talks is that you can get to look and, and think about creative ways that you can illustrate it. And one of my favorite films is Home Alone. So we've just got a little clip just to try and illustrate the panic that Mary and Joseph would have had. So here we go. This. Brooke. Brooke. Give this to Brooke. Give this to Kevin. 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 Here you go, Kevin. Kevin's not here. 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 What? I don't know if you've ever lost a child or maybe misplaced one. Um, me and Kate, we have a, a little boy called Sam. He's a delight and he's chilled and easygoing. And, uh, it was only a few months ago, but we were taking one of the guest speakers out for lunch and I had said I was taking Sam and then we got to the gate and Sam said, I want to go with mummy. So I was like, that's fine, go and, sit, go and find her, uh, sending him back here. I then walked off to a, a local restaurant and... Um, Sam didn't hook up with Mummy. So Mummy also came to the restaurant. And we're like, oh no, <laughs> where's Sam? Um, 
Now, Sam was fine because he was here and he went to find Uncle Dave, uh, Dave the leader, and, um, and it was all fine. But me and Kate were in a panic for a moment. Thankfully, we were only a couple of moments away. I don't know if you've ever done something similar. Maybe it's just that we're really bad parents. Um, but, and I also remember as, as a child being in Marks and Spencers and, um, and just being separated from my mum just for a short amount of time and the panic that rises up. However, I have an even better story from Kate. And um, so when Kate was um, a, a child, her and her brother were in B&Q, um, so the big DIY store, uh, with her dad, who's a brilliant DIYer. And um, they used to go running around, and there was a, a stand with the doors. So there was a whole aisle of doors. And the doors, you could open the door and then go in and pick the door that you just opened. Yeah. So what they used to do for fun was run around and then hide and pull the thing too. But what the problem was is that there was no door handle on the inside. And on this occasion with her brother, I think maybe he did something, but we'll get to that in a moment, she ran and she hid and she pulled the door too. Click. And then she couldn't get out. So, and then her brother ran away, and she was completely lost and stuck behind these doors. But the panic that rises up, we've all experienced it either from uh, that. But I mean, Tim's a great guy, but I think maybe he you know, clicked it. But uh, who knows? Um, but you can just imagine, can't you, um, as Joseph and Mary realized that having traveled a whole day and that Jesus wasn't there, but it'd be worse, wouldn't it? Because I know what Kate was like when we misplaced Sam just for a few moments. But she's like, oh no, I've just been given one responsibility to, to look after my son. But, you know, Mary was given this responsibility by God to look after the Messiah. Man, can you imagine? She'd be like, oh, what am I going to tell him? Like, you gave me one thing. You know, we had this meeting with an angel, and you told me what was going to happen, and all these things that I've gone through, and I've looked after him, and he's 12, and I've done really well, and now I've lost him, and I've lost him in this massive city. And I, you can just carry on imagining, can't you? And Joseph, as the carpenter, probably a guy who likes to fix things, you know, how, how would their relationship have been? You know, the guy just trying to fix things, and the, and the lady just going crazy and worried. Ma- uh, out of her mind. You can only imagine what it was like. And so they found him after three days. So it was likely that they traveled away for a day, back for a day, and that they found him shortly after that point. But Jesus, it doesn't come across that he was in this panic at all. In fact, when we, we can read there that um, he was in discussions with the teachers. He was asking questions and answering questions. It doesn't go into all the detail of like where he slept or what he ate. And I was going to use the clip in Home Alone where the guy, you know, Kevin's just sat there eating like bowls of ice cream because I don't think that's what Jesus was doing. But, um, but it does make you wonder some of these things. But he, he didn't have this panic. He was evidently an exceptional child. Many of the commentators say, you know, he wouldn't, have had the exposure to the teachers uh, of the law like they would have done in Jerusalem in his hometown. And yet he was, it says here that the people were astonished by him. So he obviously had a level of understanding and was capable. 
It says that his parents were stood there and they were astonished. I wonder how long it was. They they finally find him in this massive frantic panic. And then they find him. But then they're stood there and they're just amazed by what Jesus is doing and who he is. And then it comes to the point where they ask the question, why have you done this to us? And Jesus' response is phenomenal. I don't know what I would have done, but if, if, I, if I ever lost Sam for three days and he responded when I said, why have you done this to us? And he said, why, why were you looking for me? Uh, well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, <laughs> and come here, please. But um, there's, I'm not sure what your response would have been, but I'm not sure mine would have been quite the same as theirs. And now as we come, we come to our second objective. We're working through our first objective and we come to our second one. And the second one is to answer a question that they didn't understand, that Joseph and Mary didn't understand. So as they'd found Jesus and they asked him, you know, why have you done this to us? His response was, why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? But they didn't understand. And so again we see there's Mary and Joseph have had encounters with angels um, about who this son is going to be, this miraculous son, the miraculous birth, and then the upbringing through. It was as though Jesus had been adopted into their family, that he'd left heaven and that he'd put his um, crown down and he's taken his um, princely robes off from heaven. The greatest miracle of all, miracle of all, arguably, is that he left heaven at all as he came to earth. And as he comes to earth, he's adopted into this family. And Mary and Joseph would have had some understanding, but they clearly didn't understand all of it because they didn't understand when he said, well, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? Now, we have the luxury of knowing all of the story. Obviously, they didn't at the time. So we have some understanding, but we wanna, what I want to do today is I want to understand that more. What does it mean to be in my father's house? Why, what, what did that give him? Well, seemingly, what it gave him is it gave him security. Because when he was in his father's house, there was no panic. There doesn't seem to be any anxiety at all. He was happy and content and discussing and debating with the people. This is the first account where Jesus actually states his heritage. This is the first place in the Bible where he says, "Uh, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Therefore, meaning that he's the son of God. I think one of the main things that's clear from here is that from this statement we find that security isn't found in what you do, it's found in who you are. And I believe that this knowledge that Jesus had meant that he was secure, so he wasn't panicking because he was in a place that his father was. There was no anxiety because he knew what he was doing. So after that, what we then see is that uh, they made their way back to Nazareth. And it was a 70-mile trip back again. 
And you can only again imagine what the conversations would have been like. There are two statements in the final two verses. And it says, uh, it says this, um, but his mother treasured them in her heart. And she says that a few times in the first um, chapter of Luke, that she treasured things up in her own heart. And what a journey she'd had from being chosen by God to be the adoptive parents of the son. You see, can you imagine? I, I, I often think, you know, did Jesus... Was he and God, were they looking down from heaven going, well, I wonder which, which one should we go to? Which, which family would you like to be adopted into? So as he takes off his royalty of being a God in heaven and he comes to earth and they choose, and they choose Mary and she was the chosen one with Joseph. Joseph had been his father for 12 years, and yet at this point, Jesus announces that actually his true father was the father in heaven rather than Joseph here on earth. I wonder how Joseph would have felt about that. Probably quite excited, quite interested, not fully understanding because it says that he wasn't understanding it at all. And the second statement that, um, that it says here at the, in the last couple of verses is that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. As Jesus came down to earth, he put down so much stuff whilst he was in heaven. He came down and he gave up his, uh, his omnipotence, his omniscience, and his all-knowingness, his all-powerful, and his all-power, um, uh, all all, I've lost it, sorry. Um, omnipresence, omnipotence, and omnipresence, so that he gave up some of those things. But what bits did he keep? Because he was obviously able to do men, much more than other people, which is about the astonishment. So we've, we've completed objective number one, and we've looked through the verses and we got the context. And we've completed object number two, that we understand that Jesus knew who he was, that he was the son of God, and that he was comfortable with being in his father's house. Now, the final objective, I'd like to think about, well, how are we going to put this into our own lives? What does it mean for us? So Jesus knew who he was. He was the son. But what does it mean for us? Now, I think that many of us know God as our father, and we can all learn to know him more. I was really fortunate that I got to know God as my father from a really young age. Through tough times, I understood who he was and that he was a great comfort to me as I was young. I got to know him as a God who cared for me and who loved me. One who is reliable, one that I could treat as my father, the one that knew all things. The problem is, is that as we grow up, just as children grow up, they become more independent from their parents. So also we can become more independent from God. Where we should really be more dependent on him, we become more independent. And we lose that dependence on him. We lose the intimacy that comes with a dependent nature. So rather than 
acting like adoptive sons and daughters. We can act as though we're orphans, self-dependent, self-efficient, self-reliant, and not involving God much at all. And we all have that propensity. I read a book recently, and I realized that in many ways I acted like an orphan, that I only involved God at the difficult points in my life, whereas we should involve him more and more. It's difficult, isn't it, because he gives us great gifts and skills, and yet sometimes we then go off and use those all on our own, and we don't involve him. But he wants to be involved. Jesus wanted to be involved with God throughout his ministry here on earth. He often took himself off, didn't he, into the wild places, into the quiet places to engage with God. And that's the challenge for us, is that we also need to be going to do that. If we knew the love of the Father to the extent that Jesus did, how would that affect our lives? What would be different in our lives? Our anxiety, or the way that we deal with stress. Our tendency to please people. Our reaction because of our insecurity. Maybe even our ability to take risks. What would it look like? So remember when the statement I made earlier, that security isn't finding what you do, it's finding knowing who you are. We need to have a greater understanding of who we are that we're sons and daughters of the Most High. In 1 Peter, we've been studying this at youth over the last term, or maybe two terms, the whole of the book, word by word, line by line. And in 1 Peter, it talks about that you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions, that you may uh, declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into the wonderful light. One of my favorite verses is in Ephesians 1, and where it talks about the chosen, that God chose us. Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, he says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance to his pleasure and will. I love that because it means that we are adopted into God's family. We have been chosen before the creation. And it was in accordance to his pleasure and will. So often I get the feeling that we think it's like God's had his arm put up his own back. And that somebody's made him to make us into his family. But no, it's in accordance to his pleasure and will. He loves us so much that he chose us, that he wants us to be there. In Romans eight seventeen, it says, Now we are children... Uh, Now, if we were then children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may share in his glory. So when we're co-heirs with Christ, that makes us this royal priesthood. We're adopted into his family. We're royal priesthood. We're co-heirs with Christ. We have the same things that he has available to us. And then it goes on to say about being a holy nation. And when we consider in Revelation 7, when we talk about all the different people, all the nation, the different peoples, the different nations of people that are going to be represented, then we are a part of that, that we are able and we are called together as this large nation of people, that we are co-heirs, that we are chosen, and that we are a group of people on a mission. 
in 1 John 3, it says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So with the mission that Jesus came to on earth, when he was born and that he gave his life so that we could be reconciled back to God, at that point we were also brought back into the family of God. We were adopted into the family of God. And we were loved by him. And we can continue to interact with him. And when we were chosen, we understand that we were chosen by God before the creation of the world. And it was in accordance to his pleasure and will. He loves us, he wants us, and he wants us to be a part of his family. And so as we begin to draw to close... I believe that there's a few things that God really wants to do for us and with us and through us at the end of this talk. That as we've understood the objectives, we've understood the context within which this chapter was written. We now, and we already understood that Jesus is the Son of God and that we are also adopted into the same family. Therefore, we are also classed as sons and daughters of God. And that gives us great security, just like it gave security to Jesus. So as we draw to a close, what I'd like to do is, I feel like, uh, as I've been preparing this, God wants to do business with some of us regarding things around stress and anxiety. I think that he wants to start helping set us free of those things, because he is a God who brings hope and peace and love to those that ask him. In Matthew 7, verse 11, it says, If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good, give good gifts to those who ask him? And so we only need to come and ask our Father to do these things and interact with him. Could I ask the band to come forward, please? So we're just going to worship God again, and then we're going to do some business with him. So if you'd like to stand and we'll worship.